All right, welcome. Does anybody else want on it, off it? Would anybody else like a drink before we start? All right, so we're gonna dig heavy. As I said, we're gonna get pretty deep. Um, let's do some like cycle 101, okay? We were talking about this earlier. I wish someone would have sat us down. You are so much better off than like anybody in this room, Jocelyn. Like I wish someone would have sat me down and said, okay, so when your period starts, here's what you have to look for because there's like super basic things that if we pay attention to it from like a super early start, we're good to go. For example, I was never told, hey, that your cycle needs to be this color, it needs to be this long, it should be this frequency, it should be this duration, whatever. And each part of that has, you know, an explanation as to why. So let's look at it. So for example, the optimum and the ideal what we want is your cycle should fall between a 28 to 32 day length. At that point, the color should be like a deep cranberry red, like cherry juice. It should be anywhere from like four to seven days. Yes, there might be some heavier days, but it shouldn't be like inconveniently heavy where you're like having to run and change your tampon or pad super often. And you should feel some kind of like warming or sensation, like you should feel your uterus during work, but not to a point where you can't like function and you're doubled over in pain, right? But each part of what that is too, with color, for example, like cranberry cherry red, that means hormonal imbalance is non-existent. Everything's nice and flowy. If we get a little bit deeper, deep blue purple that, and like clotty, that means estrogen's a little too high in the system. Um, and it's of course then throwing off your progesterone levels and your, and your uterine lining is probably way too thick. Um, and then the heavier it is at that point, it can then lead to PMS and cramping and mood swings and depression and things like that. Um, brown, brown blood is like old blood. So maybe your cycle's way too long. So by the time that blood actually comes out, it's super oxidized and that's why it comes out brown. And then if it's pink, especially that pale pink beginning and end, then your estrogen levels are way too low. That means it's not getting high enough to then thicken that uterine lining so that you shed that uterine lining and you have a normal cycle. So next time your cycle actually comes on, like pay attention, <laughs> you know, pay attention because it's really cool that our body's like, hey, if it's like this, then this is what this means. But I didn't really know this like ever <laughs> until, I, you know, if anything was off, then I would know. And our cycles are something that like, it gets kind of fed into our brains of like, well, if your cycle sucks, your cycle sucks. Like there's nothing you can do about it. I'm so sorry if you're gonna have cramps forever. There's a lot of myths that come with our cycle. And PMS is one of them. Like, of course I'm gonna have PMS. My period's about to come on. Wrong, PMS comes on when your hormones are imbalanced. So PMS only happens when progesterone and estrogen, which we'll talk about each hormone in particular, are off. Like, that's it. And what's triggering that? What's triggering that are our lifestyle habits. I was reading something today from um, a chiropractor that we know, and they were talking about biotin, for example, right? They were saying, like, people take biotin because they want their hair, their nails. And she said, we're trying to supplement our way out of things that we created through our behavior. And supplements are great. I'm all for supplements, and we need particular supplements, especially because our food is so depleted and things are not the way that they are. But if we never change the behavior as to what caused the depletion to begin with, then we're always gonna be like shortchanging. Like something's always gonna be off in our system, and we're always gonna ask why. 
So what we do, then we say, oh, cramps, ugh, they're unavoidable. I'm so sorry, yours are heavier. Mm. Like you, these start to be things that are kind of embedded in our brain from a super early age. And then what happens if you tell your body enough times that something is off, it's always going to believe it's off. So you're never going to believe that you could be any healthier and a different version of yourself. So your body um, secretes something called PGE2, it's prostaglandin, right? That's what causes the uterine contraction. That's what causes cramps in our body. However, your system is so smart that it then secretes PGE1 and 3, so it gives you double the opposite effect. Like then it gives you the antispasmatic, so it counteracts your uterus contracting with twice the like healing agents that it can. But some people still have really bad cramps. Why? Well, because that's off, like your hormone levels are off. So we reach for a heat pack at best, ibuprofen or something even stronger, depending on like if you can't function and move during that time. But our system is so smart, it's already embedded like, hey, you're, I'm, you have one bad going on, I'm gonna give you two good so that it like truly knows what to do with things. And then that next myth comes with the pill. Uh, I never personally went on the pill, so I can't tell you like any experiences of that, but a pill bleed is not a real bleed. The pill keeps your cycle levels super low, I mean your hormone levels, excuse me, super low so that ovulation never gets triggered. If ovulation never gets triggered, well then the bleed that you're having is not a real bleed, um, it just ends up being a withdrawal bleed. And that like week, that placebo week is strictly a marketing ploy, like it's useless. They did it because they realized like, well, like regular women without the pill bleed. So like people on the pill are going to want to have something like that too. So like, let's just put that in for marketing purposes. But if we keep our hormones at a super low place for a long time, that's no bueno. Like you don't want them to be so depleted because it's going to lead to a lot of further health issues. Not to mention, you know, coming off the pill is a whole different ball game because then your system has to learn what to do on its own, especially if it's never naturally done it. Um, I, I get why people do it. My least favorite reason is when they put teenagers on it for acne. And I'm like, there was nothing else. Like we could have done nothing else, but I'm just gonna give you synthetic estrogen to take like forever. You know, if you know a teenager who's got acne, please just ask them what they're eating. And remember what you ate as a teenager too, because my diet sucked. Like I'm not, there was a lot of good, but I also remember eating a lot of bad. So like, no wonder our guts are wrecked like that. And then modern day science, which is like one of my least favorite words nowadays, was like, you don't need a cycle, like at all. Like it's okay if you never have one. And they're not necessarily wrong. Like you can physically go on without a cycle. However, <laughs> having a cycle, having your hormones, not screwing with mother nature, then gives you like really good backup for things like osteoporosis, heart disease, uh, breast health type issues, dementia, like being able to go through your cycle sets you up much better to avoid these things as opposed to if we absolutely took them away and took those hormones away and didn't let them do its thing, then yeah, later on you're gonna have bigger issues. Now there's another portion with PCOS that sometimes can lead to skipping cycles, which we'll also talk about with some dietary things. That's completely different. But even then, like we can't ignore PCOS and skipping cycles because your system's supposed to do it. Now, if you have a bad period, they're like, you know, we get told sorry. But think about if you had a cold. 
like sometimes we let our cold like run its course, but you do something about it. You rest, maybe you drink more water, you take some vitamin C, vitamin D, you get adjusted, whatever your go-to is, why don't we do the same thing here? Like, why don't we change our lifestyle, our, our exercise, our mindset, whatever you wanted to do, so that by that next cycle, your system's like a little bit better. We don't do that because most people don't even know what they're looking for and what's actually off to begin with with their cycle. So a big part of that comes from, if you've never noticed, female hormones are much more different than male hormones, right? And they also fall into a complete different clock and rhythm. Um, we are expected to fit into this 24-hour clock, which we'll go over right now and how it so perfectly goes into male hormones. But we actually run more on a 28-day clock, and that's what we're going to learn um, what's important, what to do when throughout your cycle so that you don't feel depleted, so you don't feel like your energy is being sucked dry. So with guys, super simple. Morning, testosterone's high, cortisol's high. They get up, they do their stuff. Work is super productive in that sense. By the afternoon, let's go to happy hour. We got this. We're having social meeting. By the evening, their um, uh, testosterone drops. They're a lot more estrogen sensitive. They want to just chill, be on the couch, have their thing. Boom, get up the next day, do the same thing. They can work like this, no problem. That's like a typical day, right? But we want to fall into some of that, but we're not meant to fall into that. Uh, we're not meant to fall into that at all because of how our bodies work. But when we look at research and how everything should be, literally all this research has excluded females forever. forever. There, there are no women studied in these research studies that they're putting out. But then they put them out and they tell you, you gotta follow that stuff. But when you look back, you're like, they didn't even study our body. They don't know. Like they don't know jack about what our body does. And so they kind of have misconceptions about it. They just move on. It's one of the main reasons why the FDA, do you guys know what thalidomide is? They gave out thalidomide, I think in the set, was it 70s? Mm -hmm. For morning sickness. Well, it ended up like creating a ton of birth defects, a ton of deaths, and then they were like, oops, like why did we give that for morning sickness? I also learned a fun fact that morning sickness actually has to do with sperm health. So if you know a mother that's got morning sickness, tell her to blame her husband, because that's where it came from. Um, I don't know the details as to why, but that's what like they're finding more and more that it comes from that. So when thalidomide happened, the FDA was like, oh my God, what are we doing? We got to pull this back. So they decided even more so to exclude females that were in that childbearing years from this research. Why? Absolutely, and like this is a crucial time. But let's look at right now. Who are the main people going through the main like, you know, stuff that's going on now with everybody receiving their jabs and their vaccines and everything? It's childbearing years. We're, we're messing with stuff like really bad right now. With everything else that was there, they were like, no, 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 don't touch it. Now it's encouraged to do it even more so, and that's really, really scary because that's a time where you're like building so much for later on in health because that's what our female bodies do. They don't know, so they just kind of leave it out. Like intermittent fasting, for example, which we'll talk about in a minute, but like every study known to man was either done on a male or was done on like menopausal women. 
which then puts everybody else in that mix of like, <laughs> try it, tell me what happens, right? So our cycle, our clock runs more on a 28 days. So that phase one is gonna be our menstrual, phase two is gonna be follicular, phase three is gonna be ovulation, and phase four is gonna be luteal. So we want to do things based on our four phases how we're eating, how we're exercising, our productivity levels, our mindset, as much as we can and look, there's just some days that that's not gonna flow. Like you got a sick kid at home and you just gotta do whatever for work, like you just gotta get it done. Like I, it's absolutely the thing. But if we start to at least take little steps to change that pattern, then everything else will kind of flow into that same thing along with it. So, Let's break down some hormones also and see what they're actually responsible for. Um, estrogen, we run as an estrogen dominant country, society, nation, because we are so accustomed to like chemicals. Yes, there's some out there. Yes, there's some that we ingest, but we also put a ton on our bodies. So ways to avoid that, of course, are use natural things. Like we forget that our skin is our largest organ. Everything that we're putting on our skin, we should be able to eat. Um, that definitely wasn't how I used to roll, right? Like you would just put whatever because it smelled really good. But when you do that and you do that over time and you do it around super sensitive organs and your microbiome and lymph nodes and everything there, then you start to mess with hormone levels. And with estrogen too, estrogen is produced by your ovaries, a little bit of your adrenals and some fat cells. It's literally the superstar of your cycle. Like if estrogen's in sync with everything else, we're golden. Like things are really flowing like they should. And estrogen of course is gonna participate in ovulation. So what it's responsible for, it's responsible for thickening your uterine lining, shedding it from there too. And then it's really, really good for protecting us from dementia, uh, bone density, heart disease, blood pressure. It's why when menopause comes on, especially here, because we already run estrogen dominant, we start to see some of these things come to play in older people because their estrogen drops, but it's still so high <laughs> that then their progesterone's like super, super low. So we're still hanging out in a very, very imbalanced place. Progesterone, progesterone's gonna kick in around ovulation. Progesterone's super important for fertilization. Of course, it's important for keeping uh, baby to term in that sense. And then it's gonna build up your um, uterine lining and then it's gonna help shed it. Testosterone, testosterone's produced in the ovaries, adrenal glands associated with your sex drive, but it's also heavily influenced by sugar levels. If somebody has higher testosterone levels, their thyroid's probably gonna be a little bit off in that sense too, but most of the time it's an insulin issue. It's a sugar issue that's then leading to your testosterone coming up really, really high. FSH, FSH is released by your pituitary, your pituitary is in your brain, and then it's gonna simulate your um, ovarian follicles. If your FSH imbalance is off, you could have some fertility issues. As you get closer to perimenopause and menopause, your FSH levels are gonna go up because then that's gonna tell your ovaries like, hey, we're good, we don't need to do this anymore as far as releasing an egg. LH is released by your pituitary gland at ovulation. If your LH levels are gonna run abnormally high, it's also gonna throw off your fertility and not to mention it's gonna maybe lead to things like PCOS because your system doesn't realize like, hey, ovulation took place, I'm now gonna drop, it just perpetually kinda stays in that super high place. It's gonna trigger that mature egg, 
it's either going to shed, of course, or you're going to have um, pregnancy. Insulin, God, if you remember two things from this workshop, estrogen dominance sucks and sugar is responsible for everything. Like I've, I could have pretty much stopped it there. So insulin, obviously we eat carbs, our body produces it down into glucose, glucose goes into your bloodstream. Insulin, of course, is secreted by your pancreas and then it matches, the glucose matches whatever that insulin level is. If there's a glucose insulin imbalance, that leads to a whole host of stuff. Now, at that point, initially, you're like, oh, maybe that means I have to go keto or like super low carb forever. Yes slash no, like not forever because there's certain times in your cycle where you're not meant to eat like that. But if you have a very, very high like sugar issue, then yeah, like lower glycemic is absolutely where your brain has to go because until you balance those things out, your hormones are not going to regulate. And then cortisol. We talk about cortisol a ton. We look at it a lot on HRVs when we go over it. If you've ever had any yellows on your EMGs, like right in this area of your spine, that's your adrenals. Adrenals are secreting cortisol and everything's coming out. That's your primary stress hormone. When stress is high in the body, your body's going to match it with releasing as much cortisol as possible. And then other things then kind of start to shut down sometimes including your cycle because your system thinks like, oh my God, I'm super stressed out. Like I don't have time to do this thing because I've got this like super stressful thing happening. Well, if our bodies are perpetually running on high cortisol and the super stressful thing ended like six months ago, you're still here. Like we haven't met and gotten to that balance in between. That's regulated by your HPA axis, which we'll talk about in a second. And then of course, any high levels of cortisol are gonna mess with ovulation. They're gonna mess with just everything in your cycle, low libido, progesterone, fertility issues, and just throw stuff off. So has anybody ever said any of these phrases, ever? There are enough hours in the day, my anxiety is to the roof, sometimes it's hard to focus, I'm overwhelmed, I'm shortchanging my kids, I feel frazzled, I don't have energy, I don't have enough time. Like we've all said that. And that's 100% a thing because we're used to just keeping our foot on that gas pedal and going, 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 which is not what we are meant to do. Less is more. We have to like super slow down so then we can speed up when that time comes because that's why we fall into that place. That's why our PMS kicks in the way that it does. That's why we're super irritable at times because we're pushing when we should be resting. Uh, one of the things that she talks about like during the menstrual cycle for exercise is a nap. And I was like, that's like hilarious. Like you're kidding, right? Like we're going to nap like throughout the day. But she's like, you have to, like that's what's important. So we ignore our second clock. Why? We only think 24 hours. We live in perpetual production. That's just how things flow. I would say, especially this last year, it's become like a bigger shit show in that sense too, right? Like some stresses were lower, but other things were amplified a ton. We think being busy is like the biggest badge of honor. Things have to be so tough and we expect to feel the same way every day. I super fall into this. Like, why do I feel so off today? And I remember a couple, uh, a couple months ago, I went to Maymay to make my bracelet and we were making it. We we're talking about like moods and stuff. And she's like, you can only blame 
the planets and i was like huh and she's like no getting up in the morning if you feel bad and say like what did i do why do i feel like this Mm -mm -mm." like get into your deep like negative place she's like you can only blame the planets nobody else (laughs) like okay cool but that happens like we do that and i do that to like i've absolutely i will absolutely tell you i've super done that to amaya like why does she feel like that today why is she so pissy but then you think about us like we can't keep our own stuff together and then we expect the kids to be the same way right so watch that um and then of course you have a hormonal imbalance or are taking the pill that's going to throw it off too any questions thus far and can you please turn the air on thank you very much Oh, the uh, the four phases. Are you going to talk about that more? Yeah. In what sense? Like what to do in each? Yes. So what what like luteal or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That falls at the end. That. Yeah. So menstrual is like the first phase. Yeah. After that, it, it's basically like if you think about the four weeks of. Yeah, but what are those? I don't know what those um, mean. We'll we'll go into we'll go into each one. We'll go into each one in the sense of like what happens. Okay. So. We're going to kind of go through each biological system and what that biological system is going to do throughout these four phases. So this is a direct quote from the book, and I absolutely love it. It says, you're brilliant in a uniquely feminine way. You're wired for leadership, empathy, community building, problem solving, intuition, fairness, and systems thinking. You're pretty kick-ass if you ask me, right? So what happens during our cycle is the menstrual is that first part that comes. Hormones are at your absolute lowest. This is like the rest. This is when things need to be slowed down. This is a time to have your, uh, this is the time to turn inward. This is the time to reflect. This is the time to give yourself kudos for like stuff that's worked. This is when your left and right brain are like fabulously kind of uh, aligned in that sense. Follicular means that week after that comes your openness to new things, creativity, beginnings. Where are you actually going to set your intentions? Because by the time ovulation comes, and I'm sure you've noticed your own like energy kind of go up and down at certain times. By the time ovulation comes, this is when you're like social centers. This is when you're showing up to happy hour, like ready to go. You are communicating. You've got dates that you're setting up. You want to be like seen. You're out there. Um, you, you're having important conversations, you're enjoying that like magnetic energy that you have. And then luteal is that last phase, it's kind of the two weeks after, and either, you know, physiologically, either your body's getting ready to fertilize or you're gonna get pregnant or you're shedding whatever lining is there. Luteal is when you're like wrapping it up. So you're task and detail oriented, that's when you're getting big projects done, that's when you're like meeting those deadlines. Um, and like, I, I would love, like, ideally, if you're like, I'm going to walk into work, I'm going to tell you when my luteal phase is, and this is when my stuff's going to be due. Like, it would be magical. So much would get done. Um, and so the first half of your cycle, of course, you're going to be out there doing stuff. That second half of your cycle, you're going to take care of yourself. Uh, you're going to speak up, say no more often, set boundaries. If not, that's when irritation starts to take place because you're not getting the rest done. That's mm-hmm. done. And then comes our immune system. We are gifted with a phenomenal immune system. And as females, we, and I'm sure you've noticed this in yourself, if stresses are high, our immune system can still roll. Like if our significant other stresses are high, they will probably tank in like a minute. They tank while it happens, we tank after. (laughs) Because we know that like we gotta get stuff done. And our immune system, 
estrogen kicks up the first half and then the second half our immune system kind of chills why so your body doesn't go in and attack a foreign invader which is this potential egg that's now gonna um, fertilize and become a, a human being and so what we have to do and what we have to also pay attention to with our immune system is if we stay in estrogen dominance then we can lead or mess with autoimmune type issues like if your system doesn't see that difference between hey, this is good, hey, this is lower, then autoimmune-like issues start to take place for our body. And then comes our metabolism. If you have a fast metabolism, you are super healthy, you can lose weight super fast, and that's the way to be. Like, that's what we're told, oh, your slow metabolism. They're right, like, we naturally have slower metabolisms than men. Like, that's just how we're encoded. But we're encoded like that, because we can grow a human being and they can't. Because when we take things in, our body absorbs things, our body holds on to things, our body kind of condenses and like stretches out how we're holding on to these nutrients, as opposed to they take it in, they flush it out, they're done. Um, so our metabolisms, it's okay that they run lower. Our metabolisms are not meant to be calorie burning machines all day long. And in general, when you look, like when estrogen starts to rise, your appetite is suppressed, okay? And then when there's a dip, then it rises. So your luteal phase, the first half of your cycle, things are a lot um, more curved, like your appetite's a lot more curved, you're probably eating a lot less, you're doing some different things with your cycle. Second half of the cycle, your energy expenditure jumps, which means you are uh, burning like an extra 89 to 279 calories, but, your appetite's going up, like things are also increasing. And your body naturally does that because if it's gonna prepare for pregnancy, it needs to, it needs to give that extra step. But what you can do on the flip side is as you're burning that much more energy and you're hungry and your appetite's going up, you get to be even more mindful of what you're eating and making sure that it's like slow burning carbs and certain type of foods that then don't lead to weight gain. Because when the appetite is suppressed, whatever we're doing, we're probably gonna lose weight that first half of the cycle. And then when the appetite goes up and the energy expenditure goes up, we literally gain everything we just lost in that first half of that cycle and we're stuck back like in the middle and we're like, what happened? And you're gonna yo-yo like that unless you break that phase and feed your body exactly what you're supposed to at that time. So our microbiome, our gut, we have our microbiome everywhere, our sinuses, our hands, our gut, our vaginal canal, our breast tissue. So our microbiome is super, super important. And our microbiome, like 100 million neurons sit within our gut. It's why our gut is called our second brain. It's why there's a massive gut-brain connection. Serotonin is what's rolling through there. Serotonin is your happy chemical. 90% of it comes from your gut. If your gut is off, your hormones are absolutely gonna be off and your um, mood is absolutely going to be off in that sense. It's why, and you pretty much all know this, it's why I went gluten-free because when I was on gluten, it started to mess with stuff in my gut. Of course, it would give me like bloating, meh, but it would go away after a few days, so I would totally ignore it and be like, so I'll be constipated for three days, big deal. I'll be fine right after. But then when it started to mess with my mental well-being, I was like, what's happening like I had no idea that's what it was well what happened was I was eating something that was messing with my serotonin so no wonder I was unhappy no wonder I was super stressed but I had no external 
factor contributing to that. Once I flip that out, never, ever, ever again have I had that kind of mood dip because that's really scary, I'm not gonna lie. When you're on the inside looking out and you can't control what's happening with your emotions and you're like, am I going crazy? Like what's happening in that sense? It's a really unstable place to be and I don't recommend it. So if you feel your mood is off, stop eating gluten. And gluten, the problem with gluten is it's sprayed with um, Roundup. So glyphosate is a carcinogenic ingredient, but that's what they spray on it. That's why our bodies have such a hard time uh, digesting it. It's also the same thing that then starts to mess with our vaginal uh, microbiome is because what do we do? We get told to use either a tampon or a pad that is also sprayed with glyphosate that we're putting into the most sensitive system in our body and then we wonder why it throws off our hormones or we wonder why we have other issues. Most non-organic, like 100% non-organic cotton pads and um, tampons all have glyphosate on them. I used Tampax for like 20 years until I figured out like, oh, I shouldn't be using this? Cool. But like, I remember in like fifth grade, you get, you know, a little bag with stuff in it and you're like, bye, go on your way. And that's all you use. Or I've heard it with some of the kids here that there's like this teen brand. So they all use the same teen brand because their friends are all using like the same thing, right? And not until I switched to organic cotton and one day I was stuck and I didn't have anything, I put on a regular tampon and I got a massive migraine right away. And I was like, oh, oh no. And I have like, I've had chronic multiple migraines throughout my cycle. And I never ever thought it was because I was using a regular tampon in that sense so we must pay attention of course to our poop if, if we want to know what else is going on in our body um, because it's all going to be connected in that sense um, one thing she also talked about was looking at the microbiome of the breast and that potentially being used as things for um, breast disease and like to pay attention if there's a way to influence that microbiome then maybe it can make bigger differences for what's going on Look, there's a re there, this word is why so many like breast issues exist. And it's, it, it also falls into the same category of like fertility issues. Why do we have such horrible fertility issues here? It's because everybody's hormones are off. Um, I belong to a mommy blog and I remember a, a couple weeks ago, someone had written like, hey, has anybody had IVF and gotten cancer? And I was like, what? Like, but if you think about IVF, it's just hormones like a ton of hormones that you shove into your body. And then like two weeks later, somebody I know literally got diagnosed with that exact same thing they were talking about and she had had IVF. And she said herself, she's like, I think that's what led to this. And it was a breast issue. Well, again, is that gonna happen to everybody? No, no, just like none of this is gonna happen to everybody. But if you take synthetic hormones and shove them in your body forever and then never do anything to like detox them or change the pattern, or figure out why, well then your body's gonna stay on that unstable hormone game and that's what's gonna happen. And cancer is a horrendous thing and it's also at the same time a symptom. Like it's a symptom, it's your body screaming like, dude, I can't do this anymore. Like whatever was going on is now multiplying, it's turning really, really bad, but we get to make those changes super early on so it never leads to that point. 
So estrogen is a massive influence to the gut. It's going to promote good bacteria and it's going to stop leaky gut. Leaky gut in and of itself can lead to a whole mess of stuff, bloating, cramps, gas, food sensitivities. Leaky gut, if you think about like that, like a net, right? All over your gut. If there's like massive holes in that net, then your body's not absorbing things. Things are literally leaking out. Um, I wholeheartedly think that's what I also had. Like I must have had some kind of leaky gut issues when I had so many food things that were coming up. And as I learned to like seal that, because who wants leaking anything <laughs> from their body in that sense? I think that definitely, definitely changed that. So you want to pay attention to your ecosystem. It's not the most like glamorous thing to talk about and pay attention to, but we have to. Because again, our bodies are wired. They innately tell us things. Oh, we're too busy we got too many things going on and if i can like get by throughout the day i'm fine like maybe if it gets really bad i'll pay attention to it but we get to flip that flip that conversation as well um estrogen dominance um, estrogen dominance is massive again it can lead to infertility pms issues low libido cramps heavy bleeding pcos um, just polycystic ovarian syndrome. That's definitely a sugar issue, 100%. It's an insulin issue and how the body's taking that on. A lot of insulin is. Any questions? Yes, I'm going a little fast, but tell me if it's too fast. Good. So then we're going to look at our stress responses. Okay, so our HPA, we're going to go a little deeper sciency here. So hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So we've got stuff in here going to stuff in here. If we're stressed, that's going to kick in, right? Your body realizes you're stressed. Great. Let's secrete everything that we need to. What's that going to do? It's going to tell the pituitary gland to start um, pumping out ACTH. That's going to send a signal to your adrenals to then pump out even more cortisol and adrenal, and your body's going to kick up. If you've had your HRV scan that's gonna veer very left and you're stuck in that zone, your gas pedal's on and your body's ready to fight. It's when we learned fight or flight in school, like that saber-toothed tiger's chasing you. So your system's like all hands on deck, any like rest and digest, that's why we always laugh because I'm like, no one's pooping in the middle of a saber-toothed tiger chasing you, like your body's gotta go. You want that axis to kick in when things are higher, but you also want that response to then quiet down once you're done. Because if it doesn't, you don't want your system running on like famine. Like you don't want it to think like, oh my gosh, I have to stop all other bodily functions to keep up with this stress. So what happens when you're more stressed? Then your body releases a ton more cortisol, and then the second half of your cycle um, compared to the first, and then that is then gonna do what? I'm sorry, when that happens with cortisol, it's gonna release more, but then when it's heightened, um, that's your body's way of like protecting that fertilized egg, of course, and not screwing things up after that. So what does stress really do? Does it matter? Does it really make a difference in your body? So stress interferes with insulin. I told you everything was strictly about sugar. Sugar and estrogen. When it interferes with um, insulin, then your body can't regulate blood sugar levels. When you can't regulate blood sugar levels, then your cycle and your ovulation are 100% going to be off because your system's not going to get that signal to then kick in ovulation when it needs to. It's not going to realize that things are like ready to go. It can potentially do this because it's wired to release that egg and either do something with it or shed that lining, right? 
It's gonna decrease your progesterone, which nobody wants progesterone to be low. Um, of course, it's gonna get in the way and mess with pregnancy and then um, sustaining a full term like pregnancy. So it's gonna, it's a main reason why multiple miscarriages happen with people. It's because that progesterone level never gets up. It's gonna de delay your ovulation. I'm sure everybody at one point in time has been super stressed out and has had something, ovulation's been off or your cycle's been off by a couple of days. And you know what? A once in a while thing that happens is okay as long as you make changes to go on. Um, your body actually does that, of course, because it's not going to have you ovulate and have you get pregnant if your system's in a super, super stressed out place. And then it can change um, everything in your cycle. The time, the length, like things are supposed to be cyclical for a reason. Like things are supposed to fall into a nice rhythm. They're supposed to maintain that same level of color, of um, uh, how much bleed you have, that thickness, all of it. And then if things of course stay for a super long time, then things are just gonna be MIA. If your cycle's gonna be completely MIA, um, then your ovulation was skipped and it's just a shedding of the endometrial lining, not actual like uterine lining, which we want. Which then endometrial lining over and over and over again is gonna then lead to endometriosis and that's a whole other mess. Again, same issue. Like things are hanging in a perpetually high place or low place and we're not meeting in the middle. You know, anybody that I've known that has had endo, it's not a comfortable thing, like at all. They've, depending on where they fall in that severity, but they also don't get much of a solution, like at all. Like nobody talks lifestyle when it comes to any of this stuff, and that's what it absolutely falls into. So we're all gonna read this manifesto together. Ready? Cool. I acknowledge my cycle has four distinct hormonal patterns. Each of these phases require different nourishment and self-care. Supporting each phase is key to optimizing my health. Syncing with each phase allows me to tap into creativity to optimize work, motherhood, and relationships on my own terms. Living according to my biological rhythmic timing restores my sovereignty and makes me more free. Wouldn't that be cool if you learned that as like a teenager to do that instead of like, just keep going. <laughs> Sorry, just keep going. So food, food is big in this. So diets are a thing always and they always will be and every single person claims that their diet is the thing and now that i like have read even more they probably have never looked at a female body for that diet anyway because if they did they would tell you week one here's what you're going to do week two here's what we're going to do and so on and so forth and look stuff works like after i had amaya probably maybe a year and a half after i did intermittent fasting and i did intermittent fasting for the longest time i swear by it i love it it, my mental clarity is on point with it. And I lost all that weight. Like I didn't necessarily do it just for that reason, but it worked. But so did Weight Watchers when I did it and all I ate was aspartame. Like I literally ate fake sugar all day long. Never have I weighed um, the, like I've never weighed the lowest there. Like I, the least I've ever weighed was on Weight Watchers. I looked the best. I remember my spring break in Miami. It was fantastic. However, my liver is still eating shit for it now because I ate 
aspartame. I ate sugar-free stuff all day long, but it worked. Like what I wanted to do worked. Mind you, I was in chiropractic school too. Like nobody taught us about nutrition in school initially, but it worked. So if something's working, well, like why would I stop this? Like I'm physically meeting the goal that I want to, so I'm not gonna stop it. But we're not paying attention to like what's happening on our system, to our system on the other side. So one of the things that she talks about very specifically is eating in each phase of your cycle. So this is where we're gonna start and then you go to follicular and then ovulatory and then luteal. So let's do an example, right? And you don't have to like a million percent stick to this, but during menstrual, and we'll talk in a minute, you're gonna stick a lot more like lower carb, keto, paleo-esque type eating uh, because our hormones are at their lowest. And then after that, you're kind of gonna build up. So she gives a wide variety and, and however your nutritional like ways fall, you can plug and play with any of this that you want. So like there's times where she talks about coffee, although she's not a caffeine fan and I'll, we'll talk about that too as to why. But there's also times to eat very heavy um, cruciferous vegetables and greens so that as your estrogen is going further up and if you're already estrogen dominant, your cruciferous vegetables are gonna be key in dropping that at those times where you want them to, to kind of be hanging out. Also for like cramps, like hazelnuts are a really good alternative to like an ibuprofen or something like that because they'll feed the body the same way. So menstrual, coolest, when you look at, um, like Chinese medicine looks at that time and tells you to eat the most warming foods, soups and stews because your body's at its coldest place. So you wanna feed it warm foods but you also want to think as low sugar as possible during that time and you'll kind of notice if you look back you're like oh, i could do that during that time like i don't want to just eat pizza all day long follicular your estrogen starts to rise up again this is massive for like those cruciferous vegetables that we're talking about but you want like lighter cooking in that sense your appetite's a little bit more suppressed so this is a time where if you want to go a little bit heavier on intermittent fasting you want to mess with some like calorie restriction or macros or whatever you're counting good week to do it the week right after your cycle ovulatory your estrogen is going to go up um, the most your body is your warmest so you're going to flip you're going to flip to eating more salads more smoothies more juices like things that are going to be um, raw vegans going to fit really well into this place you're going to steam things so you're going to eat cool foods as opposed to like warmer foods in the beginning and then luteal we're going to dip so you're going to go for warm roast baking your body's going to need more calories here remember but it's also burning a lot more but you're going to eat slow burning things like beans um, to then help like stabilize your blood sugar levels also so and we're going to go through each of these diets so you're going to think like macrobiotic complex carbs here not like empty carbs in that sense was luteal the phase that you're supposed to get lots of stuff done in yeah, the end. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we'll go through, um, like caffeine is like an asterisk, okay? Like if you're gonna have coffee, Bulletproof's the best way to have it because at least you're gonna get good fats. It's gonna keep your blood sugar nice and even keel. But you have to be very conscious of where your body lies. Like if you fall very heavy estrogen dominant, you have PCOS stuff, fibroids, fibroids, endo, things like that. Caffeine's not gonna be your friend. Not to mention most people don't even drink good quality coffee to begin with, which is a bigger problem. 
because coffee is very heavily sprayed. It has a ton of fungus in it. Then it's like fungus in your body. Like what did Laura say when she was, um, what did she say she's not drinking when she talks about Starbucks? Moldy coffee. coffee. She's like, I didn't drink moldy coffee this week. And I was like, yeah, way to go, you know? But, but that's what it is. Like that's what you're doing. And of course, caffeine is going to increase your cortisol levels. If your cortisol levels are already high, be careful. Like don't, that's also the time when if our stress levels are higher, then we're like pounding caffeine like no other because we have to keep up with the demand of whatever is happening, right? And then it's going to deplete your body, especially B vitamins, folate, which is going to be massive for both energy and mood and muscle and nerve and super important during pregnancy. And then the acidity, like if you're drinking bad quality coffee, the acidity of, acidity of that coffee is going to wreck your microbiome. And we already have... Um, our microbiome's already wrecked because antibiotics are used like candy around here. And you take one dose of antibiotics and you've already knocked off and probably will never restore your microbiome to what it's gonna be, let alone now you're gonna feed it like a bunch of acid, which is then gonna like help all that bad bacteria flourish and throw off your gut even more. Uh, and Bulletproof Coffee is either, you don't have to use Bulletproof Beans, but you mix it with Brain Octane, which is basically coconut oil on crack. It's like MCT, you know, it's just good saturated fat. And you either do butter, or if you don't wanna do butter, we do um, cacao butter is a really good like alternative to mix it. So each diet, I'm not here to tell you how you eat, however you eat is how you eat. But each diet, of course, then if you're not paying attention to what you're doing during those phases, can kind of mess with stuff. So keto is super popular and has become super popular and works really well for weight loss, especially, but we're not meant to stay as women. We're not meant to stay in ketosis forever. Like that's just not what our bodies are meant to do. Can you stay in keto like further towards menopause? Sure. Cause then you're not going to mess with stuff as much, but not now. Pros of keto, protein fats, phenomenal, love them. They're gonna keep you more full. They're gonna keep your uh, blood sugar more even keel. And if you're eating keto properly, then you're not gonna eat processed foods. There's also, keto to me is also the other version of Weight Watchers I did because everything is like sugar-free because you wanna keep your sugar low. So there's also a very bad way of eating keto. And it's not meant to be like meat and cheese forever either. Like that's all I'm going to eat is a burger, like bunless. Like, no, that's not what keto really is. Um, hormonal disadvantage. Like if you have a ton of animal protein and only animal protein and nothing else, well, your poor liver is going to be um, congested. Your liver is the most phenomenal organ. And it's like never talked about like it should like it is responsible for detoxifying everything the more congested your liver gets the less estrogen is able to pump out of your body the more estrogen dominant you continue to become which then throws off your hormones keto will also affect t3 production so if you've got thyroid issues you got to be careful like either get your thyroid levels checked beforehand and see if something's off if it is maybe not keto because then it's going to throw off whatever else is going on uh, intermittent fasting, love it, just told you about it. Ideally, we should keep our window to 12 hours. Like pushing 14, 16, 18 for a long time is going to mess with our hormones. It's just not the place we wanna be. It's phenomenal for weight loss, body fat, um, most importantly, insulin sensitivity. Like it's a great way to kick your system into dropping that insulin issue. Dude, the cognitive function is unmatched, like unmatched. 
I still do my Bulletproof coffee. I just don't fast the same way because I like thrive on how my brain does on brain octane. Um, and then it's gonna lower your risk of various diseases. Why? Because you're decreasing your inflammation, you're eating less, you're not um, insulting your body with like horrible sugars to begin your day. And it's gonna promote new cell growth. It is though, like I mentioned, like it's studied in men. <laughs> in men and like menopausal women will do phenomenal with intermittent fasting. But then for us, this is where it throws it off. Remember that first half where you're eating less and then the second half you're like, oh, I'm gonna eat a lot more and then you don't lose that weight. Well, depending on what your body's doing during fasting versus feasting, you might end up screwing yourself over and like gaining a much more weight than you just lost in that first half of that cycle because you're throwing off your blood sugar so much. If you're not gonna jump into a massively carb heavy, insulin full meal and you're gonna do something super fat filled and like veggies and stuff probably less likely to throw off your sugar so much but you got to be super careful with like all right my fast is over here i go i'm gonna eat a bunch we can't we can't rock that um gluten and grain free so i i i put gluten and grain because there's very great ways to eat good quality grains and there's very poor ways to eat it um, pros, reduce stunning pain, bloating, brain fog, fast weight loss, and of course, massive to leaky gut and allergies. If people have leaky gut issues or allergies, you got to get gluten out of their system because things are just leaching out and it's in perpetual inflammation. So it's just going to keep everything going. Hormonal disadvantage, you want to insert, of course, during that phase, you want complex carbs. So choose your carbs wisely. Don't starve your system that last two weeks of your cycle because that's going to throw everything off. You need that calorie intake. So if you're completely, completely grain-free, then great. Choose um, uh, root vegetables, like choose things that are not going to fall into that but are still very, very complex carbs. And buckwheat, which is um, you can do like as oatmeal. You can cook however you want. Raw vegan pros, fiber rich, you've got plant-based foods, better digestion, lower cholesterol, inflammations, of course, reducing in that sense, massive for antioxidants, great for skin. Hormonal disadvantage, if your gut microbiome is whack, like raw, raw vegetables might be super hard for you to digest. It's why you have like a massive kale salad and like broccoli and Brussels, and you're like, what just happened? Like I just ate vegetables. Your microbiome has to be ready to take on raw vegetables. It's a lot to break down. It doesn't mean you can't ever eat it, um, but you gotta be careful with it. And then you also have to be mindful of some micronutrient issues. It can, again, if you're not having enough of the nutrients that you need, then it can mess with how your cycle's coming on. It could go MIA and lack of nutrients can lead to weight gain. Macrobiotic. Macrobiotic is a lot of whole grains, veggies, beans, soy, tempeh, plant-based, high fiber, lower fat. Um, it could lower inflammation, reduce uh, diseases, cancer, super high in micronutrients, which is phenomenal. Hormonal disadvantage, you don't want to be eating regular processed GMO soy, like at all. Um, it creates a ton of phytoestrogens in your body. Phytoestrogens are like fake estrogens. We already have enough estrogen. We don't need fake estrogen. It's why soy milk needs to be thrown out like everywhere, especially in males. Like, please don't be drinking and increasing phytoestrogens in your body. 
Um, so if you are going to do that, then be mindful. If you are having poorly processed um, soy, then get ready for your PCOS, your fibroids, your endo, and things like that to kick up even more. It's the same reason why during menopause, they want you to take like estrogen, but it's not real. Like if your body doesn't need a ton of it like that, and then it leads to a bunch of other issues from there. Um, eat unprocessed soy, of course. Eat fermented soy if that's possible. Um, tempeh miso, but it, eat it in small amounts. Like also eat like culturally. Like Asian cultures can probably eat that and they'll be fine. Like I can eat rice and I'll probably be fine because culturally some of that stuff matters too. But like don't eat a ton of stuff that you're not necessarily meant to, but you know your body best. Like gauge what works for you and stick to it. Um, I have also become a big fan of variety. I think this for me became really prevalent when I did my food panel. Like I did an allergy panel and most of my foods that came up as my most inflammatory foods were everything I was eating. <laughs> but I think that happened because I just had not had enough variety. Like we'd been pretty like strict paleo. We do dairy here and there, but of course I'm mindful of what kind of dairy, but like almonds were my most inflammatory food. And I was like, <gasps> like everything paleo is made of almonds and i'm like what am i supposed to do so i took it out for a while i've since put it back in but i've become very mindful of rotating things why because if we don't rotate things out with however we're eating then it becomes inflammatory and you're and it becomes an autoimmune type issue like your body's gonna then fight what you're eating and you look at what you're eating and you're like i'm not eating anything bad like i'm eating good food but your system needs change. Like you please don't eat the same meal forever. And as you see, your hormones don't want you to eat the same meal forever either. But I laugh because Chris literally ate the same meal forever, like when he was younger, but he can. Like his hormones don't care if he eats his waffles and whatever else he used to eat. <laughs> Not now when he was younger. Used to, used to. Calorie restriction. There was a time we talked about, right? Like that follicular time right after your cycle, you can do some more fasting, calorie restriction, great. Massive disadvantage though, if you keep that up and your BMI drops, your cycle's gone. Your cycle's gone because your system's stuck. In female rats, when they did an experiment, they saw it messed with fertility, their ovaries shrunk, increased menstrual irregularities, and enlarged adrenals. Nobody wants their adrenals pissed off already, and then you want them enlarged even more so? No, no. We're not meant to fall in calorie restriction, especially during prime hormonal times. So if you know any younger people that are super into their calorie restriction, please have a conversation with them now because their cycle's probably not there. Like it's, I literally just had this convo and it, it's not there and it's gonna throw stuff off and you don't want your system to already think it's on overdrive when you're like 12. Like it's not supposed to happen. Working out, working out falls the same way. I'm sure there's times where you get up and you're like, let's do this. Like I can run a marathon today, I'm good to go. And then other days you're like, my nap is my workout. Like I told you, right? So working out gets to feed that same um, system, gets to feed that same four phases and you get to pay attention to what you're doing so your body gets the most out of it. During that cycle time, you're thinking chill. Like you're not doing anything to overexhaust your system. So you, there's a lot of rest that comes up during this time. 
you're doing yin yoga, you're walking, mat pilates, like you're doing things that are not overstressing your system. Remember your hormones are at their lowest place. They need to be like baby. It's like give yourself a hug during that time. That's what your body needs. Follicular, you start to do more cardio. Like you pump out a lot more things like that. Ovulatory, that's when you're doing your hit stuff. That's when you're lifting even harder. Everything's rising up. Your energy's at a high place in that sense. Remember, that's like happy hour all day. Like you've got it going on. That's what it is. Luteal, you kind of go in between. You can keep up some of that stuff. Um, and then you restart. Like when you feed this type of exercise into your system, then you're not over exhausting your energy either. Like you're paying attention to your body's energy instead of like, no, I have to show up. I got to stay on point. I have to do all of this. And then like three weeks later, you're spent and you haven't figured out why, like what happened. I really like the schedule. I'm here right now. So I did jump ropes today <laughs> and it felt great. Like I actually really like doing it. So again, to reiterate, menstrual, you're resting, your evaluation is happening, you're digging deep into your intuition, you're relaxing, you're reflecting, you get to be so kind to yourself during this time. Um, you want to talk to yourself about what you've done that's worked. You also want to take a minute and look and say, what didn't work? Like what was not at optimum? So then I can go ahead and set that clear intention going forward. You got to trust your gut and your instincts here. You're going to journal and you start to like set your intention going forward. Follicular is your prepare stage. This is when your creativity is huge. This is your biggest strength. You're dreaming, you're brainstorming, you're vision boarding, you're getting everything ready. You're putting it all together. You're prepping, you're planning, you're researching. This is when you're taking your courses, you're gathering your resources, you're setting your big intentions um, and you're clarifying what that vision is to then step into that openness, which is your ovulatory. This is where you're communicating. You're literally telling everybody about what you want. You're like expressing everything out there. You're talking, you're pitching your ideas. So then you feed straight into luteal, which is your work. You get it done. You complete things. You are not procrastinating. You're absolutely organized. You're going to accomplish everything that you talked about on that second phase, which was during your follicular. You're attending to like finances, admin tasks. Um, you're doing deep work, but you're also celebrating like how phenomenal you are doing it all. I think that's a really cool breakdown. Like, I think it's a really cool breakdown because I'm like, oh, I could totally do that. Like, and it makes sense to where you are. And then it takes that massive like pressure off. I have to just be perpetual performance all the time, which not. And I run like that. Like, I'm not here to tell you I'm total. No, I run the exact opposite. Like I am perpetual production all the time, but it like bites me in the butt. Like after a while, I just don't want to do it. It's kind of when you got, get into that place and you're like, I'm so unmotivated. And it's like, no, you're not unmotivated. You're just kind of working on the wrong things yeah, during where that is and where we're syncing up. Um, very simple kind of breakdown of best and worst. And if you look like they all have a lot of things in common, meaning if you've got fibroids, your best things are going to be to feed it um, flax seeds, unprocessed fermented soy, kidney beans, things you're avoiding are basically everything processed. You're going to ditch a lot of that red meat, especially because 
most people don't eat a good quality of protein to begin with. Like if you're spending your money on anything in its animal protein, you better spend big because it's really bad. Like when it's bad, um, endo is anything anti-inflammatory, anything. Leafy greens are massive here. Why? Because estrogen is such a disaster here. Um, bone broth is going to be phenomenal for your gut. Again, you want to think very, very high foods in magnesium. Mind you, literally everything on this list I took out for like a while. And then I was like, oh, I wonder why my zinc and magnesium are so low. And I was like, <laughs> like I, I got to put all this stuff back in. But like, again, I should have, you know, made this variety a thing a long time ago. Um, again, worse things are going to be dairy, inflammatory, alcohol, because most people don't drink it with um, fermented kombucha, it's inflammatory. It's like sugar. You're drinking sugar in a glass. Um, gluten, pesticides, foods. Again, if you're not paying attention to what quality of food. PCOS, same thing. You want very high fibrous. Cruciferous is key. Like if, Even if you don't have estrogen dominance, cruciferous vegetables are going to be amazing for your body. Um, if you don't like it, Standard Process makes something called cruciferous complex. Take it. I don't care because people are like, I'm never going to eat this. I'm like, great, then you need to take this. Like, I would rather have you eat all of this. I don't want you to have to take it, but be real. Like, you're not going to eat it. Great. At least take it in a powder, in a shake, like put it in something and do it. Uh, worse for PCOS is pretty much like worse for like anything. Like you should never eat this type of food. Um, cooking oils that are horrible like sunflower and canola artificial sweeteners like we talked about soy again because it's going to kick up your estrogen like crazy and then cramps um, almonds and hazelnuts are massive because they're a great source of vitamin e and then again leafy greens are going to be super helpful for that um, saturated animal fats omit canola refined uh, oils omega-6s Eat oils like avocado if you're going to use it. Use things like coconut oil. Don't use canola. It's not even a real oil or um, like any margarine or like things like that. Like I'm sure you don't cook with things like that, but um, canola, I despise it. Like everything pre-made, it has canola in it. I'm like, give me a break. Like why can't we do anything else? Or like use butter or ghee or whatever else feeds, feeds into it. Um, and then there's bloating, which I really like. She's got a really fun recipe. So juicing is really good for bloating and she calls it the bloatini and it's beets, <laughs> beets, carrots, celery, and lemon. It sounds really good. I was like, Oh, okay, this is really cool. I should have done this uh, more often. Um, one of her recommendations is to drink it the week before your luteal phase. So then it kind of preps everything up. Uh, and then for bloating, caffeine, salty foods, dairy, cut them out prior to your cycle. So then it supports you actually going into your cycle. Acne. Obviously during teenage years, things are shifting. Hormones are already like trying to figure themselves out. Worst things are pretty much everything I ate because I ran the student store in high school, like soda, chips, ice cream, gluten. Like it's not to say you can't eat it, but I really wish I would have had like siete chips when I was younger and like coconut milk ice cream because I would have done just fine. Um, but that's going to feed it. I mean, you're feeding your gut the most inflammatory foods. Your gut's going to detox on your skin. It's no wonder you have acne. And so leafy greens, root veggies, fat, 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 and like zinc. You want things with zinc, tree nuts, um, sunflower seeds, good grains. Um, breast tenderness, a lot of times also iodine's big in this. We don't have good iodine in our food source and our salt. 
So you want high vitamin E foods to help that. On, a, on the same note, um, if you've never had thermography done, I highly recommend doing thermography over a mammogram any day. Um, a mammogram is gonna have an immense amount of radiation in your body, not to mention it's very much just looking at one area. And if you already have something there, it's just gonna smash it to pieces, which like, why? Like, why, why are we going to poke the dragon? Thermography is gonna give a full look from like right here till about right here. We get to take a look at axillary. We get to look underneath, like big hormone patterns fall right under breast. It'll give us an idea of lymph. It'll just give us a full idea. And you're able to um, detect things much earlier and not to mention it's not invasive. Like, just like we do the thermal scan for our scans there, it's a thermal camera, which means you're just standing, it takes a picture, you do a stress test, so you put your hands in cold water, and then you get another picture taken. You just put your hands in cold water, we should see a temperature change in things, right? If you don't see temperature changes, well, cancer has its own blood supply, so then we get to do some blood work, or we then do an MRI, or we move on to things more non-invasive again. We work very backwards. We go very invasive. We go like smash your boob first, and then they're like, oops, I can't see anything because you have fibrous dense tissue. And then they're like, maybe we should do an ultrasound, which you still can't see anything. And then they give you an MRI, which why did they just start with the MRI to begin with? Because we would have not been in this mess. Same thing on that note with a biopsy. Like your body is so smart that it encompasses something into a tumor. Don't biopsy a tumor. Because <laughs> then you're like, boom, spread, like go. Take it out biopsy it after no problem like just remove it and if they tell you they can't whole other ball game we can talk about how to shrink whatever but don't biopsy things inside your body because then you're more likely to have it spread all over the place um and then super simple vitamins this isn't the only list but if you're taking nothing at least like take something and be mindful of your b vitamins be mindful of omega-3s get a really good quality of that eat as much magnesium as possible um, if not then take some i cannot emphasize how important your vitamin d levels are we learned through this COVID era how ridiculously important vitamin d was but most people's vitamin d levels i swear to god range in like the teens like i've seen more teens than anything 30 on blood work is like super low normal ideally you want to be between 60 to 80. um like yeah go out into the sun as much as you can unexposed but you also can't like take a shower right after because then you'll literally wash it off. So you gotta pay attention to things like that too, but D is something that you absolutely get to take. And depending on what your levels are, then that'll depend how much you take. A lot of people talk about K with D and absorption. As long as you're eating leafy greens and a salad and that's high, you're fine. Like you don't need to necessarily take a ton of vitamin K. And then probiotics, also with an asterisk, like eat as much probiotics as possible eat fermented vegetables eat sauerkraut yes you can have kombucha but be mindful of your sugars with kombucha don't just drink like the strawberry kombucha all day long because it's super sugary like drink the ginger lemon kind a little bit you know and then if you are going to do probiotics um, rotate your strains of probiotics like don't just take the same probiotic forever like have other stuff that you're putting into it 
One of my new favorite things with that is also Ion Biome, which is huge for your colon, which is gonna help like flush everything out there too. Uh, because a lot of times that stuff gets stuck and it gets stuck there for a really long time and we're working super, super hard to push it out and we're not getting anywhere. And last but not least, one of my favorite things ever is watch your mindset when it comes to your body. Uh, pay attention to what you're telling yourself. Pay attention to what's coming up. What are you absolutely stuck on as like 100% fact when it's not? It's just because things have been a certain way for so long does not mean they get to be like that forever. Um, it's really easy to fall into that mindset when you have so much evidence to back it up. You're like, of course my cycle is going to be like this. It's been like this for 26 years. Like, why would it be any different, right? But your body's listening. So when you shift things like that and when you actually tell your body, okay, cool, let's go, let's play. I'm listening instead of like, what's wrong? Because I can fall into that place of like, what's wrong with my system? Instead of like, maybe my body's telling me this because I just did blah, blah, blah. Like maybe I haven't slept enough, I'm pushing too hard, I ate really poorly, so then things showed up the way that they did. And because our body is always right. It's not convenient, but it's always right. And it will always, always give you that info. We just get to listen. And affirm how fabulous you are. Affirmations are massive, you know I love them. Um, but we don't talk to ourselves as nicely as we can, especially if things don't fall into line with how we look, what we're doing, blah, 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 the list goes on. Now, we get bombarded with so many things and we get bombarded with so many things at a young age where depending on where you let your mind take you on that journey, well, you're either gonna affirm really fabulous things to your body or you're constantly gonna be in lack. Like you're gonna think that there's something off or something wrong in that sense. Cool? Mm -hmm. And that is all. Any, I don't, that's it. I didn't really tell. Any questions, anything, anything you want me to go back on, anything you've tried, any like additions you have from your own experiences? Yes. I had a question about the like breast microbiome. Like how do you, because you said to pay attention to that. I don't know, because it was like a three sentence thing. Because she said that they've started to like, look more into that and test breast microbiome to then try to use it for like breast diseases. That's literally the only thing. And I was like, what is, I'm right there with you. Cause I'm like, what are you secreting? What are you swabbing? What are you, I don't know. I don't know if it was something with like breast milk. I don't know if it was just how your breast tissue is during certain times. Cause my brain went to the same place of like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, are you just on, what are you swabbing well, out? Like, I where mean, are you going to get? Know that, like, through the lecture, like, they say that you shouldn't, and a lot of breast doctors, you shouldn't use soap on your breasts. So should not? Should not. Should not what, sorry? Use soap on your breasts. Use soap. I mean, I remember years ago when we heard Dr. McCullough speak, he's like, literally the only thing you should be using um, soap on are like your privates yeah. and your armpits. That's it. That's what we do. Like the rest of your body, like, what do you, what are you really cleaning off in that sense? Because those are like more areas that are going to get, you know, whatever. Children's feet. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a whole other ball game. But again, like armpits, okay, let's talk about armpits, right? Like you shouldn't have smelly armpits. If you have smelly armpits, you have smelly insides. Like your insides, <laughs> your liver is probably super unhappy and, de and like not super congested and not able to flush things out. And like we get this like 
oh, extra strength, medical grade, blah, 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 blah. Aluminum rich, like everything chemical known to man, super sensitive area, leach out into lymph nodes, into breasts. I mean, it's like, when you look back now, you're like, you know, like I didn't use natural deodorant initially at all. And it even took me a while to find natural deodorant. And I'm sure part of that, cause like I was probably still toxic in certain ways and my body was trying to regulate whatever was there. I know. <laughs> I don't even use deodorant anymore. Mostly just cause I'm lazy. But, and I don't go anywhere. <laughs> no, I, there's but, days where if I'm not doing much, I'm like, what am I going to wear this for? Yeah. Like, they do say that if you stop using deodorant, you stop smelling. I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure because it's a layer like it's still a layer and we're very I get it like nobody wants to like have a massive sweat stain through their clothes and then they like Botox your armpits so you don't sweat and I'm like well, where's that going yeah people will get Botox to stop their sweat glands from functioning yes but okay great like you're never gonna sweat again but like where is that going internally like look where it's pooling like into main areas so yeah, super convenient, thanks, but like those toxins have to go somewhere and they're just gonna clearly remain in your system like forever <laughs> or build up as something else. I yes, I I'm ready. Um, so how do you know if you're estrogen dominant? Just blood tests? No, so I don't love blood work for women's hormones unless you're menopausal, but even then I don't love it, kind of. My favorite way to test blood is through saliva. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of the labs that we work with, it's about 11 vials. It goes from the start of one cycle to the start of the other. And it's gonna test uh, estrogen, progesterone, estradiol, testosterone, LH, FSH. And it looks at the pattern because we wanna see what's happening. When we get it back, if I'm not mistaken, it's a one to 30 ratio that we should see with estrogen and progesterone. So on the sheet, we should see kind of like a yin yang formed with what that pattern looks like. Like when it goes up, it drops down. Saliva is the best way because then you get a full picture throughout your cycle. And again, saliva two cycles in a row because one ovary to the next is my absolute favorite way to do it. So then I get an idea of what each are doing. Um, blood is great, but you have to know where you are. So if we're not at ovulation and we're looking at progesterone, it's low, who cares? Like it's not supposed to be super high unless we get to ovulation, right? So blood is fine if you're like, I wanna know what's happening during my menstrual. Blood ideally four weeks in a row, sure. Cause then I could see a change, but like who's gonna go get blood work four weeks in a row? Um, so saliva is my favorite way to do it. I do it once every like few years on myself just to get an idea. And then I match it to therms and then I match it to blood work too. I have one more question. Let's go. Okay, so like let's say that you have, I mean, you probably don't know because I don't think anyone knows, but your cycle has always been normal. Sure. Where it should be. And then like now you see clotting. Now you see clotting. Well, mostly because of. I know. Yeah. That's a whole other ballgame. Has anybody noticed a change in their own cycle the last one to two months? You what? I blame the moon. Well, a lot of people started to notice changes in their cycle from other people who they had been around who had received the vaccine. Oh. And it was like, at first you're like, hold up. Like, you got it and now it's going to happen to me. Like, it's weird, right? Mm. 
but then it's not like if you work with someone long enough your cycles sync how come that's not weird like you're in the office and everybody's cycle is the same because energetically like everything has synced up so how come that other part doesn't make sense one of the kairos that i follow i think said it beautifully in the sense of i think that's happening a because energetically like you know, things are sinking up and there's a lot more stress and different things for our bodies to take on. But B, it's also because if you're on the non-side, you're probably super worried about everybody that just got it, super worried about yourself. You've cranked up your cortisol levels like no other. Your estrogen's gone up and that's why things are a disaster going forward. Like, so what you've created, because we get to be responsible for ourselves, right? Like, yes, people around us and what they're doing, sure, that can influence us, but it's how our body's taking it on. So even more so, we get to be mindful of our stresses if those are it around people like that and what we're doing, because yeah, it's kicking it up. Yeah, I noticed my cycle was bonkers this time around compared to what it's been for months, but I was like, okay, let it go, let it go. We'll see what happens this next month. Like, it was very different and I was like okay cool because I really didn't want to fall into that category but I did I totally did my ovulation was almost a week late and I'm like on point my cycle was almost a week late I haven't had a week late cycle in forever but like did I fall into that category being super stressed out about people that I know that got it and cranked up my own cortisol whatever yeah (laughs) do I already run estrogen dominant historically yeah it probably didn't help my cause like even more so. So I mean you have like a pretty normal like period anyway. You just have to like try not to stress about that, but just can kind of about it. Yes, and feed your body even more. Like yeah. dive deeper into your self-care, dive deeper into cruciferous vegetables, dive deeper into meditation, like dive deeper into some of that stuff that if you already do, like do tenfold. And then just watch it because one time is one time. Great, fine. Let's move on to that next ovary and see what's happening. And if things are still flowing in that pattern a little bit, well then maybe we dig a little bit deeper there and see. It's bonkers though. Can I do one more question? Keep going. So what happens if I've noticed this like, I would just say this year, but I mean, I haven't had my period back for really long. I just had like a kid not long ago. A while. <laughs> Still, it takes a while. So I I notice that I get cramping when I ovulate, but only on one side. Hmm. So like, and it didn't used to be that way. Okay. But then I don't know because I had a girl the first time and the second time a boy, so I don't know if like that played a role in it either. I have no idea. The yeah, only thing I would... Babies are moving all that crap around, too. Well, yeah. So maybe yeah. it's moving yeah. the wrong Yeah. Maybe it gets to be a reset like that, like some kind of yeah. abdominal massage to do something like that. I mean, if anything, you can just do a transvaginal ultrasound and just get an idea of, like, hey, is there a tiny cyst? Is there, like, yeah. silent endo? Is there something hanging out in there? Like, if it's prevalent enough and it starts to mess with other things and or if you've done hormone level testing and everything's like coming out super clear. Um, I think an ultrasound would be a, just a good way to look because sometimes cysts are there and they're super small and we don't know. Um, I've noticed it. I'm like, oh, that's strange. And is it every other month? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just that one ovary. Yeah, it's so strange. Mm-hmm. So. Wait, what do you mean 
Why would it be every because month? Because it's one ovary, one ovary. Like each month, each ovary is doing its jam. Oh, really? Yeah. So if it's every other, then yeah. maybe something shifted, like Nicholas said, like with one side and yeah. do an abdominal um, massage, like a Mayan type of abdominal massage and see if they kind of reset. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some realignment, and then you're like, well, I don't know, can you just shift yeah. a couple of things back in play? Mm -hmm. What was the, the phase before before your actual period? Luteal? Uh -huh. That's the work phase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always find that I'm very annoyed and grumpy the week before. Yeah. Like, like the children drive me crazy, well, most of the time they drive me crazy, but like even more so I get very short, I'm like just really annoyed with like people being annoyed. Um, so how do I, what can I, what do I need to do to balance that? I think part of it you get to see what you did the first three weeks. Yeah, because once the period, once I'm on my period, I'm, it's I'm fine. okay. It's always the week before and it's always a surprise, even though I track it, I don't go in, like it's, I'm always like, Ugh. You know, and it's always like last time it was camping, and I was like, great, this is a great time to do period. But it's the week before when I was stressing about packing for camping and like or whatever. You know, it's always something, and I, I can see how it's the work phase because I can see how people annoy me because I'm like trying to get work done. Now, right, it makes sense now that you said it. Right. So what do I need to do to not be as grumpy? I think you got to pay attention to what's happening the first three weeks. Like, are you actually resting that next week when you need to be? Are you like? eating, you know, more complex like carbs, have you shifted workouts? Because if not, then by the time you get to that point, then you're done. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, it's a lot to like process because you're like, wait, my whole calendar, my whole being, like the part where it's like hang out with people this week. I'm like, I'm Armenian, I hang out with people all week. Like, <laughs> how do you want me to just do this like the third week? Like, no, I can't do that. Like. <laughs> But I get it because there's times where I'm like, let's roll. Like, I'm down to go. And then I'm like, ugh, we have to go to another event. Like, but duh. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, thank God I have two bridal showers this weekend. We're right in a good, like, <laughs> place unless I'd be pissed. But it makes sense. Like, it makes sense. So I think if we even just, like, a couple days out of that week, if we just spend doing some of those things, mm. like, it'll make the rest of it flow a lot better. Because it also depends on your own life, right? Your own demand, your kids, your work, like whatever you're running. Like, it's not just so like, I'm going to show up today and nap for four hours because it's my cycle week. Like, <laughs> sweet. Like, that would be golden for all. Yeah, like, I'm napping during the time. Yeah, exactly. But like, I wish, like, I wish things like that were built in to school, to yeah. workouts, to PE, like to all that stuff early on. And we paid attention to it because it really would make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And then it would also kind of lead us mentally in a better place to like be okay with that. Like women's cycles have always been like, ugh, you're so hormonal, ugh, whatever. Like I remember watching Parks and Rec and like them being like, let me take on my calendar to see which one of you is on your cycle this week. And you're like, bitch, like what happened? What do you mean? But like they do that because you're like, ugh, it's that week for you. But yeah, it's that week for me. So like, let's pay attention to that and let me like harness whatever I can there instead of like, I'm just going to bash you because it's your week and uh, you're so hormonal and oh, you're just on your period or whatever, you know, but that's all you get told. And so you just go forward with that same mentality, like forever till you don't have it. <laughs> so. Any, I have a yeah. If you're 
What if you don't have a cycle after you had a baby? Or like... What happens there? Yeah, or, or what schedule do you follow? That's a phenomenal question. I think initially I would recommend no schedule. Like initially, I think a lot of it, yeah, yeah, a lot of it has to be on just um, nurture, nourish, like all of that. Because I, I was just talking to a patient about it yesterday. I was like, you know, we're so. Um, we're not like in a tribe where you've got like everybody breastfeeding, everyone's helping everybody. It's like six weeks, your ass has to be back at work, like let's roll. So from week one, that mom's already like, I can't breastfeed, I can't have this child on me forever, I can't not be sleeping, whatever, because you're already ahead like and there. So we're so backwards. So ideally, yeah, nothing. Like listen to your body, rest as much as possible, take that downtime. And then when you start to feel that like, Hey, my body's healing, my sleep pattern's changing, then cool, maybe start to mimic some of the same things. But I think until it feeds like, until you actually get into a proper like rest phase, which I don't know if people really do anymore, right? Like that, I wouldn't pay, like I wouldn't go too much into that. Um, yeah, just gauge your, gauge your own body. Yeah, it's been two years and I just started my Wow, what? that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I was so sad. It was like three months after, and it was like the saddest day. That was the thing I liked the best about being pregnant was not having but a baby. I've been the whole time, so I don't know if that had to do with Yeah, that. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. And then I was thinking, even some women aren't in sync with like the moon, too. Right? Uh huh. So yeah. Some follow like the moon cycle also. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. And look, two years. Um, like I remember one of my mentors was like, some people's postpartum stuff, if they bring it on, does not even start until they're like two years out. Because the last two years they've been so depleted and have never really had the option or like ability to sit and like really just be, slow down, nourish their system, that they are so depleted by the time they get to that point, then everything like, everything hits the fan because now we work, try to work backwards and be like, what just happened? But part of it, of course, just begins with like, nobody gets time off <laughs> to do it. Then you get your eyes rolled if you need the extra like other six weeks like to do it, so. Yeah. yeah. It is. And my cousins that live in Germany have like a year off, they paid them all this money to have a kid and I'm like, what's happening here? Like, although they're in like third lockdown right now, so I'm not necessarily wanting to be there. But. We can meet in the middle. I'll be okay with that. I'll be okay with the compromise there. The what? Just opened. Yeah, like my cousins are still in lockdown. Like they're on curfew. I don't know what they're doing. They're like, oh, the U.S. did it this last year. Let's take it this next year. Like I don't get it. Like nothing's really happening. Yes. What's a good clean brand? Um, I've used L, I've used Cora, just a hundred percent organic cotton. That's it. Um, Target. I've never used one, so I cannot give you feedback on it. I have patients who swear by it. Yeah, I just I've never used one. I don't know that. I know, me too, because I was like, this would be so easy. Like, I don't even have to buy this stuff. But I don't know, has anybody used one? 
Yeah. I have no reason but As to... far as, like, the silicone and stuff. Yeah. There, like, I mean... So we have another practice member who made one. I can't remember for the life of me what her brand was, but I know it was very, like, non-toxic, and that's why she did it all for, like, that reason. Yeah. Because, yeah, then you want to pay attention to, like, medical-grade silicone and what's actually, what else is in that. Because, again, it's sensitive tissue and your microbiome that you're putting that all in. Yeah, I've never used one. What's good quality coffee? Coffee. <laughs> um, we do a lot of bulletproof beans. We do... Now, bulletproof beans are not marked organic, and they will tell you that they're not marked organic because they just didn't want to pay for the label, but they give you a full breakdown of, like, how they process it and what they do. Um, for Sigmatic, I really like their coffee. It's super smooth, and it has all the, like, mushrooms and adaptogens in it. Um, we, right now we have a bag of Joshua tree, like coffee. That's really, really good. Um, you want it to be organic. If not, you want to just know how they process their beans. Um, Groundworks has good coffee. Stumptown has some good coffee. Verve has good coffee. But just for, no, yeah. no. Yeah. And the U.S., like, everybody else has, like, super high standards for their beans. And the U.S. is like, oh, you didn't want that batch? We'll take them. So, like, we take everybody else's sloppy fifths. Like, it's not even seconds. Yeah. But we do a lot of bulletproof. And, like, you'll never get that shakiness, that acidity, like, ever, ever. You don't get it with stat? No, that's good. Yeah. But yeah, if you drink the other stuff, it's just, it's made poorly and it's like sugar. Like that's all their drinks are like sugar. So if you get like fraps and syrups and like, and not to say you can't have it. Like I love me a nice iced mocha like once in a while, but like I want to know what cacao you just used and what milk you just put in there. And cause then I feel gross like when I have it, you know? And the cleaner your system gets, the harder it will hit you. It's super inconvenient. You're like, I just want a cheat meal one time. Like, <laughs> let me be. But the cleaner your body is, the worse it's going to feel when you eat something, which you're like, thanks. But, you know, again, we just get to listen. Anything else? Cool. Thank you for coming. I will send you all of this so you have... Um, all your notes. I do have the book, so I have a raffle ticket for each of you that are here, so one of you gets to take it home. So we'll see. <laughs>